put advice to the church. I'll turn myself on so you can hear me. How does that sound? Like I'm in a toilet now. Not that I talk to myself in a toilet, but you know. Uh, A brand new series called Advice to the Church. And we're going to be running through the book of 1 Timothy. And the book of 1 Timothy has lots of different advice from Paul to his spiritual son, Timothy. And, uh, and at, at this time, Paul had planted the church of Ephesus, had uh, encouraged uh, them and grown them in the faith and left them and sent Timothy back to them as kind of his apprentice or whatever to make sure that they stay true to the faith. And so he's now writing a letter to Timothy to encourage him because, would you not know it, when a group of people got together, there were things that happened that people didn't like. Like, would you imagine that even the church in the early days, there were times where people got upset with each other? I know, it's hard to believe. Doesn't happen today at all, does it? Nothing new's changed. And so here we have Paul writing to Timothy, wanting to encourage him. And I love the fact that Paul sees himself as Timothy's spiritual father. That uh, he saw him come to faith. But not only that, what he did is he recognised the gifts and the skills that were yet to be recognised by Timothy and he encouraged them, him in it. And I think that if the church is ever going to be what God wants it to be, there's going to have to be more spiritual parents who look around and go, you know what, I see a gift in that person and I'm going to go and encourage them in it until it comes to life in them. I think we need more of that in the church where we just look at each other and go, you know what, God's doing something and I want to see that person be as successful as they can in their lives. And this is not a part of the sermon, but I just wonder, yeah, this is just the intro, Um, I wonder if there is someone in your life that God's sort of nudging you towards because maybe, just maybe God wants you to be a spiritual parent to those person or those people. Paul's writing this letter to Timothy Because he has an understanding that when a group of people get together, when a group of people uh, worship together, and uh, and when a church is formed, there is an innate uh, tendency for people to drift away from what matters. And we see this, don't we, just within our own relationships that if we don't keep focused on what is important, we drift away. We see this in marriage relationships or, or relationships in whole, where, where you, you, ha- you talk to a couple and they say, oh, we've just fallen out of love. Like you fell off a cliff or something. But you haven't. What you've done is you've allowed each other to drift And you've never refocused back on what is important, what is central, what is key, what has made you a great couple to begin with. Friendships 
drift apart because they don't focus back on what is important. And so within the church too, if we don't focus back and refocus on what is important, we can drift away from that which God intended us to do. And that's why Paul is writing this letter to Timothy. So we don't lose our way. So we keep on focusing back on the important things of church life and what it really means. And so uh, we, we're going to start with 1 Timothy 1 to 12. And, uh, and it goes like this. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the command of our God and Saviour, and Christ Jesus, our hope. To Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from you, the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. And I urge you, when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus, so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer, or devote themselves to myths and endless genealogy, genealogies. Uh, such things promote conversational speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and have, have turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they um, confidently affirm. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for the lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and the sinful, the unholy and the irreligious, for those who killed their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for the, the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality. Yeah, the Bible went there. For slave traders and liars and perjurers and for whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. That conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God for which he entrusted to me. I thank Jesus Christ, our Lord, who, gave, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Now, we come with a, a Western 20th century lens on this passage, and we're going to pull it apart a little bit and see what God is really saying through Paul here to his church. But what we can get from the very initial outset of this is that the church at Ephesus is getting bogged down on things that don't matter. It's getting bogged down on things that are, are pushing it this way and that way, but are not focusing on what is really important. And there is nothing new in the sun when it comes to churches and them drifting into things that don't matter. But Paul's desire for writing this le lesson is not to condemn people, 
not to make people feel guilty, but he has a great concern and love for the church to want to bring it back into relationship with God, to bring it back to what is important. Now, whenever you have a relationship that is starting to drift, you'll see that there are a, a few things that start to come away, whether it's a relationship in your own life or whether it's a relationship with the church. There are, there are some signposts, if you like, to say that a relationship is drifting and, and Paul articulates them in a kind of a, a, a negative, positive, negative sandwich. He starts with the negative, he, he puts down what it's really about and then he puts another negative underneath and so we're going to uh, pull that apart but we're going to look at the two things that says these are signposts or symptoms if you like that uh, things are not going the way that they're meant to they're starting to drift and so if you've got a relationship in your life that you feel is starting to drift have a look at this these things and see if they uh, relate to you but I, I want to reaffirm again that Paul's desire is not to condemn but to bring people back into the thing that really matters. And so I, I see here that Paul really sees these as like uh, symptoms to a cold. When you've got a cold, your nose starts to run. And when your nose starts to run, you can go, all right, I think I'm getting a cold. If you start getting headache and shoulder pains with the runny nose, you go, well, I'm definitely getting a cold. And then you'll start taking whatever things that you think that you need to take that are magically going to get you over the line of work or school the next day or whether you can really fake enough sickness to have a sick day and to feel justified about it. And really all this is doing is saying when you start seeing these things happen, it's a, it's a symptom, it's a sign that things are starting to drift. And the first thing that Paul starts to articulate is that the first symptoms is that conversations that are meaningless. The conversations that go around in circles. Now, I'm a straight-line kind of guy. I don't like when normal conversations go around in circles. I like them to go in a straight line. If you tell me something once, I've got it, I'm moving on, my head's down the road, and if you want to loop back into that baby... You've lost me. But for some people, they like going around in circles and coming back to a point often, and God bless you. But what Paul's articulating here is the fact that the quality of the conversation turns to things that don't matter. And so if you're in a relationship and, and the conversation starts turning to things that don't matter, it means that you start talking about your favourite TV show or you start talking about uh, um, uh, really insignificant things instead of talking about the things that really matter. And if you have a relationship that just talks about superficial things long enough, you'll drift apart because a relationship is only deep and meaningful is when you get to the heart of things and you really share your emotions and your feelings with another person. And guys, we're terrible at it. And all the women in the room said, <laughs> we're terrible at it. 
because we, we pu- push everything deep down inside and, 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 and we just want it to be superficial. That's why we love talking about the footy, which we're not going to talk about this morning. And so we'll go out with a beer or have a coffee with our our mates and we'll talk about anything but other than that, that really, really matters. And we'll go home and and we'll be grumpy with our spouses, which is what I was with Kelly on Friday, just putting it out there. It was all my fault, not hers. And we don't talk about what really matters and why we're really upset and we push it down and we bury it under and we don't express the things that we do and what we don't realise is that when we're doing that all we're doing is doing our relationship harm. Now I'm not saying that women are perfect though I could and get a lot of brownie points but but women can fall into this, this trap of just talking about Everything and anything, except from the things that matter. I've known women uh, that I'm good friends with that can talk for hours about absolutely nothing. (laughs) And I'm not married to her, so it's okay. But if we want relationships that are genuine and meaningful, then we've got to talk about the stuff that really matters. And I think that goes for the church as well. That when we're having a cup of tea and when we're, you know, when we're, when we're in small group, that we're not just keeping it on a superficial level. That we actually dare to trust enough to actually share things that are important. So Paul's understanding is, is that when churches start to drift and when relationships start to drift the first runny nose if you like is the fact that our conversations are surface and not real we're not talking about what matters we're talking about stupid things like genealogies and 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 uh, spiritual things that don't matter something matters to him The second sign uh, that we're drifting around is we start doing things that are harmful to ourselves and to others that we love. And so Paul starts to to articulate that when you are in this thing of drifting apart from what really matters, that you actually start living what he calls a a sinful life. And, And it has those those different things in it where he talks about murdering mothers and fathers and and murderers and and sexual sins and all these things and really all he is doing is articulating in a different way the ten commandments he's saying that that when you start to drift away in a relationship or in the church from what is important you start doing things you're starting to action things that are destructive for yourself and for others. And so if you're in a relationship, then you start to actually start to do things that put the, um, the, the relationship at risk because you start working on being selfish and self-centred instead of doing what is good and what is proper. 
you start caring more about you than you are caring about the other person. And so uh, Paul says that the two signs are what are you doing with your actions and what are you doing with your words? Now the list that Paul gives is not an extensive list. It's probably a list that was to... um, Uh, to the uh, church that he knew that they were actually involved with. But what he is saying is in that list of people, we see that they're drifting away from God, away from what is right, and going their own way. So what really is important in a relationship? What really is important to keep us focused and on track and keep us in that sweet spot, whether we're in a relationship in church or whether we're in a relationship together. Well, this is what Paul says is true. He says, The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Paul says, If you want to stay true to the gospel then you've got to focus on love, but you've got to focus on love in in these three things. Pure heart, good conscience, and a sincere faith. So what does that mean? Well, a pure heart, loving in a pure heart, means that um, you're in a situation where you want to bless and not judge. Gee, we find it easy to judge. Where we want to forgive and not be bitter. That means that when we come to a relationship, we're not holding on to bitterness or judgment or things within us. We're actually dealing with them in our life. And so if you're in a relationship with someone, then when they do something to hurt you, you process it. And you'll hear me preach about this till the time I fall over in the pulpit dead. Hopefully not this morning. That God asks us to deal with the emotions that we have inside of us. That's what a pure heart means. That that we we can deal with the hurt and the pain and we allow God into the the mix of it and, and that we can actually look at someone and not look at them with anger or not look at them with bitterness and, or not look at them with regret, but look at them with a pure heart. And so if you've got people in your life or people in this church that you look at that way, then Jesus is saying, deal with it. Because his desire for you to to stay on track is that your heart needs to be pure to those people around you. And he says you've got to have a good conscience. And for me, a good conscience is basically saying that that he wants you to, to deal with the secrets that you have in your life. Those things that you do that you don't want anybody to know about. He wants you to, to deal with them, expose them, uh, allow God to move through them. He, he wants you to deal with the, the guilt and the shame that you have in your life. That when you have your quiet moments, that your head is not racing about all the bad things that you've done, but you've allowed God to come in 
and heal them and process them and the fact that you can have a clear conscience. And then lastly, he goes on to say that a sincere faith. And a sincere faith basically means this, that it's not false. That you're not pretending to be someone that you're not. That you're not pretending to be holier than what you really are. That your relationship with God is a real relationship, one that is focused on, on, um, on, on having a genuine connection and a genuine appreciation for what God has done for you. It's not about pretending to be better than what you are. It's about being real in your faith. And if you come with a pure heart and a good conscience and a real faith, then you will start focusing on what is really important, the love of God and the love for other people. Now this passage, this whole letter, is talking to those people inside the church. It's talking to the church of, um, of the Ephesians. And, and, and so it's basically saying that the Spirit of God is in us. And that little passage that we read out that says, we know that the law is good if it is used properly, verse 9, we also know that the law is made not for the righteous but for the lawbreakers, And what he's saying is because you've got the Spirit of God inside of you and because I've got the Spirit of God inside of me and and if we come with a pure heart and a sincere faith and a good conscience and we're listening to the Spirit of God, we don't need the law because God's Spirit will tell us when we're being idiots and God's Spirit will tell us when we're off track. And God's Spirit will do it. But as soon as we um, break the pure heart, hearing God becomes a little bit more difficult. As soon as we, we get rid of our good conscience and we say that something that the Spirit of God says that we shouldn't do, we go, oh, that doesn't matter. God doesn't know what he's talking about. Then hearing God is hard. When we start pretending that our faith is something that it's not, then hearing God is hard. But when we have all those ducks in a row, hearing God is easier and then God's Spirit tells us what to do and we don't need the law. Now for those outside of the church, Paul is saying the law is important. They might not like it, they might not agree with it, but it is a signpost to say you are walking off the edge of a cliff. Stop. Don't go there. Come back to God, be renewed, be restored, be healed. And the law is for them. Now, as Christians, our job is not to judge people who are outside the church by the standard of what we believe what we should live by, by those inside the church. Paul's letter is not here to condemn, it is here to correct and guide. And the church over long periods of time has found itself in trouble when it looks outside of itself 
and expects people who are outside, who do not have the Spirit of God, who do not uh, know the ways of God, to live as though they should. And that's not our calling. Our calling is to love people and to pray for them and to ask God's Spirit to draw them in and God's Spirit to do the transforming work within them. So I wonder this morning, how's the health of your relationships? How's the health of your relationships inside the church? How's the health of your relationships at home? And what is God's Spirit saying to you? Do you have secrets that keep you up at night? Do you have bitterness or resentment in your heart? Are you striving to be a good person and a good Christian instead of allowing God's Spirit to do the work inside of you? then Paul wants to gently guide you back and tell you this. Imagine what your life would be like with a clear conscience, with a pure heart, with a real life and real faith. Because that is what God wants to birth in you and in me. And as we allow God to birth that and as we allow the Spirit of God to speak with us, we will stay focused on what is important and we won't talk about that which is not. But he wants to do a work inside you and he wants you to be able to to clear the junk out of your trunk so that you can live free. And so I encourage you this morning, if you've got relationships that are not what you know they should be, then God wants you to do something about it. If you've got a marriage that is hanging on by the, by the skin of its teeth, that you're putting up with each other and just barely... there's no real spark of encouragement or joy in it anymore. That God wants you to face it with him and let him restore it and heal it by focusing on what's important. You cannot get your relationship relationship with anyone else dealt with until you deal with your relationship with God. But God wants that for you. Clear conscience, pure heart, a real faith. And all you need to do is to start on this path is to give up and say, God, I can't do this anymore. I need your help to bring it about. And I'm happy to have the hard conversations. I'm happy to 
to say what I really, really feel in, a, in, a, in an appropriate way, but guide me and show me and help me. God wants healthy relationships. They bring joy to his heart. And God wants you to be healthy. So if you're able, will you stand with me, please? And if you're um, standing next to uh, your partner or your spouse, just grab their hands. We're going to get a little bit... And if they're maybe... uh, Maybe give it a, a gentle little squeeze just to say I love you. It's beautiful. If you're, you're, uh, and if you're uh, not in a, a married relationship at the moment and you'd like to be, just look around. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that just ruined a moment, didn't it? And if you've got relationships in your life with your other hand and you want God to step into them, just put it on your heart, just put it like this. Relationships that are broken that you want to see restored. And we're going to pray together. Let's go. Loving God, I thank you that you want our relationships to be healthy. And that starts with our own health, Lord, on focusing on what's important. Will you please, Lord, Create in us a pure heart, a clear conscience, and a real faith. Will you please step inside of us and do that work? Because, Lord, we've tried doing it our own and it's not working. And, loving God, we, we pray for those relationships, whether it's our spouse standing next to us, our partner standing next to us, or other relationships in our lives. And we say, Lord, I just know that it's not what you want it to be. Help us, Lord, restore and renew those relationships. And as a church, Lord, may we be a blessing to each other. May we encourage each other. And love each other deeply, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.